Dan and Richard will get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. If you would turn to the book of Daniel chapter 3 this evening. Kind of go one chapter at a time as we make our way through the book of Daniel. Until we get to chapter 9 and then that will probably be five weeks. But anyway. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that you've given to us. Lord, to be in your word. And Lord, as we pray every week, we're so thankful because, Holy Spirit, you are here to teach us and instruct us in all things. Lord, to to bring your word into our lives so we can make application, so it would change us and draw us closer to our relationship with you. Thank you for this time together, Lord. Thank you for... Our children downstairs who are being ministered to by the teachers down there, Lord, I pray, we pray that you'd bless them as well as your word goes forth. We thank you for this time together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, thinking about Daniel chapter uh, 3 here and what's going on in in, in our life and, and where we live currently, you know, we certainly are living in uncertain times. I think that our society is changing rapidly and it's affecting all of us now. We're living in a very, I think, different time, uh, a different society than we did 18 years ago on 9-11 when a group of Islamic terrorists took down the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. And if not for the bravery of those on Flight 93, they would have taken down quite possibly the, the, the White House. And I think about on 9-12, we saying, God bless America, and we vowed to bring justice to those responsible, and people were praying like never before and crying out to God in repentance and and looking to Him for help. I like what news anchor John Scott wrote of this. He says, We weren't fighting with one another after 9-11. We weren't carping over little things. We weren't Republicans and Democrats. We were Americans. And since then, our society has changed. Our culture is changing. There's a, a great division. Our country has always been a country, a defender of liberty. Liberty is freedom with responsibility. And one of the the greatest things about our country is that people understood and took that responsibility seriously. But now we live in a world where, where where that doesn't view freedom as liberty, but as a license, a license to do whatever they want to do, and you can't do anything about it. And if you disagree with what I'm doing, then, you know, then you're a hateful person. And I, and I can't talk to you. I can't listen to you. Pastor Rick Warren said something that I thought was really interesting, and it really hit the nail on the head when he said this. Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. That's very true. But that's just where our culture is today. Over 150 years ago, French historian Alexis de Tocqueville uh, traveled to America and tried to understand what made America such a great nation. And I found this quote that's attributed to him. He says this, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields and boundless prairies, and it was not there. In her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits, aflame with righteousness, till they understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good, and if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. 
He also noted this, liberty cannot be established without morality, nor morality without faith. So needless to say, and why I bring that up is because we too are living in uncertain times, not so unlike the days of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3 is a very well-known story. For those of you that have kids and know VeggieTales, it's the story of Rakshak and Benny and the giant bunny. Their actual names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're Babylon given names then, but their actual names... Uh, we know their Jewish names is Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and, and they also changed Daniel's names to, to Belteshazzar. But, but now is that they're taken captive. Nothing they did changed, that is, but the culture and their society and their circumstances around them all changed. And really, it has made their beliefs stand out even more, and because of their beliefs, it's bringing about opposition. Same thing in America today. Our, our cultures change, and because of our beliefs, you know, we see opposition. And living a godly life in an ungodly world is going to bring about opposition. Now, if you recall, back in chapter 1, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah refused to dishonor God because they didn't, they didn't want to eat the foods that were not kosher. They, they didn't want to have the, the food from the king's table. And that might have seemed strange. After all, I mean, they're being held captive. So why not? In Babylon, do as the Babylonians do. You know, hey, if God has me here, I'm living godly. Shouldn't I have an easy life? Shouldn't it be okay to eat from the king's table? Well, here I think is the problem with that kind of thinking. We confuse a blessed life with an easy life. So I really believe that God will bless us as we live a godly life. In fact, the scriptures speak about that. Proverbs 3.33 tells us, The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. Psalm 128.1, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Yeah, God blesses us as we live godly lives, lives that, that we show we walk in his ways. But blessing does not always equate to the ease of circumstances. There are times when God does bless us, but with that, but, you know, but the, the being blessed by the Lord is more than the experience, uh, his presence in the midst of life, whatever that brings, it, it, it's what it means. It means that God is there for us no matter what's going on around us. And actually God's blessing is often found in the comfort He brings in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 1.5, For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with His comfort through Christ. That's the New Living Translation. See, living a godly life doesn't always mean an easy life, but what we do know is that the Lord is always there with us to see us through whatever we face, as we'll see in a moment. And we need to realize that as we strive to live a godly life, we're going to face opposition. We're going to face persecution because we're living in times of change and times of uncertainty. After these men were facing here in Babylon, three young men striving to follow God the best they can as foreigners in this pagan society, a society that worshiped many multiple gods and was filled with people that were all about themselves, all about what they were doing, self-centered sounds a lot like uh, uh, us today. Now, to get some background of chapter 3, in chapter 2, if you recall, Daniel interpreted the king's dream, a massive image of this, this uh, head of gold and, 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 and breast and, and armors of silver and belly and thighs of bronze and legs of iron, this huge statue. And, and Daniel said, hey, this is what it means. It's a prophetic meaning. These represent kingdoms. And, and Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian kingdom, you're the head. You're the head of gold. And as you come down, you know, you got the, the, the silver, the kingdoms that would follow, and, and so forth. 
And, and King Nebuchadnezzar, he was really impressed with Daniel and, and, and with the dream and, and, and him being able to interpret it. In fact, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 47, he says, Surely your God is a God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Famous last words. Because it didn't change his heart. Because at the end of our account, we might believe that the king, hey, maybe he became a believer. Maybe because Daniel did this, he, you know, he comes to know God. And unfortunately, that's not what happens. Because in light of this vision that he had, some 17 years later, he's building this image, he's building this statue that they saw in his dream only, instead of just the head being made of gold, the whole thing is made of gold. Obviously, he's making a statement. He's saying, hey, listen, no one's going to take over my kingdom. And, and, and he's going in the direct opposition to what God had already told him would happen. Now this brings us down. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now again, uh, you know, the head of gold you know, was, was Babylon in his interpretation. The breast and the arms of the silver, the Medo-Persian Empire would replace the Babylonian Empire. And, and again, what Nebuchadnezzar is doing, he's defying God's vision of the future by making this statement. I mean, here's this massive image, and it's all gold, not just the head, but the entire thing. And it says that it's 60 cubits, that the image was 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. I mean, this thing is, is huge. It would be visible for, for miles around. It would be set up on the, on the plain of Dura. So it would be visible for miles around. One big statue. Look at verses 2 through 7. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather tr- together the, the satraps. That's another name for princes. The administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates. And all the officials of the provinces. To come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the same traps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in sympathy with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, and the lyre, in symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Think about this. Imagine you're... One of the three boys, the Jewish boys, they say you're in Shadrach's sandals. And the king commanded, you know, that you're to compromise. And you find yourself face to face with this 90-foot statue made of gold. You're just kind of looking at this thing. And you know you're Hebrew. You know you're one of God's children. And you know the difference between right and wrong. But now everybody's watching you. The crowd's watching you. They're, they're staring at you. The king's watching. What are you going to do? As a Hebrew, you, you know better. Because in God's Top ten list is his ten commandments. We read in Exodus 20, verse 5 and 6, You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. You know you're not to bow down before an idol. The whole reason why they've been taken captive is because of idol worship. So what do you do? 
Say, Lord, I don't hate you, but I'm stuck in this circumstance, and, and I know I'm, I, I, I'm a person of a conviction, but right now the king is wanting to see me compromise, and all the crowd is going along with it. What will you do? For some, maybe they'll rationalize, you know? Just as the music started playing, oh, look at my shoe, it's untied. <laughs> Got to tie my shoe. I, I wasn't really bowing down, you know? You don't have any ties on your shoe. <laughs> Or maybe, oh, I tripped over that rock. I didn't mean to trip over that rock. I didn't really actually bow before the statue. I, you know, it, it just happened to be the same time the band played. Or they may go the other way. God, I, I know you're kind. I know you're compassionate. And I know you're forgiving. And so here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking about bowing down, but I'm only going to do it with my body. I'm not going to do it with my mind in my head. I'm just going to go through the motions. And because I know that you're loving and I know that you're forgiving, I know that you forgive me because it's not with my heart. And, and I'm just going to ask for forgiveness and we'll be okay. That's rationalizing. But you see, it's not about rationalizing. It's about recognizing not recognizing God's ability to forgive. We know He forgives, but, it, but, it, but it's recognizing whether or not we have the capacity to forsake every foreign God, to turn from those things. Because it's not God's forgiveness that's on trial at this point. No, it's my integrity that's on trial. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were Hebrew boys whose hearts that were supposed to belong to God. Will they choose to compromise or will they choose to commit? Will they resolve to do what is right? Let me say this. If you choose to live a godly life, it's going to bring hard choices. Sadly, in our day and age, Christians are choosing the path of compromise rather than commitment, of rationalizing rather than realizing. And we need to ask ourselves the same questions. What would you do? What choices would you make? Let's say it's Friday afternoon and you're getting off work and, and, and you know somebody who's just appeared, maybe it's a boss, and comes up to you and says, hey, it's 5.30 it's happy hour. I know you're a Christian, but hey, let's go get a few drinks. And I certainly can have one drink. And are you going to go, oh, yeah, all right, let's go? Or are you going to say, no, I, I need to head home? What are you going to do? Everyone's doing it. You know, you want to be liked. Let's say it's not a Friday night. Let's say it's maybe during the end of the month, maybe, and you're a salesman, and you're, you're, you're working on your figures, and you're kind of putting them down, you're looking at the, the gains and losses, and you're going, oh, you know, if I just, you know, if I just fudge the figures just a little bit, I know that it'll help us for the month. Or maybe you're at work and, and you're talking to someone and this, this co-worker starts complaining about the boss. And God, do you know what they did? And I can't believe that they did this. And, and he did that and he did Do you sit there? Do you go, oh, I don't know, you know. Or do you join in with them as to not lose that friendship with that person? Oh, it's no big deal. God understands. Are you rationalizing because you go, oh, man, this is my boss. Maybe I can get a promotion if I hang out with them. Or, or just a few figures, you know, we'll make it up next month. Or, or you know what, you know, I don't really like my boss either, so let's both gossip about them. God will understand. See, in our tomorrows, there's always going to be the same opportunity, temptation to compromise and to rationalize. But we need to realize there's so much more at stake here than God's ability to forgive and our ability to forsake. Because it's what's going on in, in the wicked world around us. They're watching us as Christians. I think of over in Second Samuel chapter 12 where it was at the place that David had sinned against Bathsheba and he had Uriah killed and, and he was trying to cover it all up and Nathan came to him and, and, and nailed him and, and it says there in verses 13 through 15 of Samuel uh, uh, Second Samuel 12, he says, So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So he admits it after he got caught. 
And here's what Nathan said to David. The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. You've given a great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And that's what happens for us when we make those compromises. When we start living carnal lives, compromised lives, there's consequences. The rest of the world looks at us and goes, look, 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 look what they did. They blasphemed. Well, I can't believe that they call themselves a Christian. Now, the word for blaspheme there in Second Samuel is the word bloom or flourish or abhor or despise. The idea is that, that every time a Christian compromises, the world looks on and, and just invites them to say, oh, you hypocrite. You call yourself a Christian. Well, we give them the impression that there's no difference between being a Christian or being in this world. If there's no difference, then why would you, would you want to be a Christian? I mean, it's not worth the ridicule. Again, David said, or Nathan said to David, you've given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. I think another example of this is, is uh, the story of Job. In the book of Job, and Satan uh, you know, is up and, and he goes before God. You know the story. And Satan tells God, the whole reason that Job is following you and loves you is because you, know, you place this, this sense of protection around him. And just, just let me at him. Remove that hedge and, and, I, and he'll curse you. Now had Job cursed God, I know the enemy, you could almost hear him standing before the throne. I told you, I told you he was a, you know, a phony. I told you, you know, the guy was a flake. But he didn't do that. See, I think we're all going to come to that place in the fork in the road between the rock and the hard place. You might say, where, where, do I do that? Do I, I know that God will forgive me. Of course that God will forgive us, but that's not the issue. Again, we need to understand that the world is watching us. Now we move on. Look at verse 8 of Daniel chapter 3. Therefore, at the time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews, they spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you, they do not serve your God to worship the gold image which you have set up. So here we have these Chaldeans. Uh, they approach Nebuchadnezzar with the accusations. King, king, look what we saw. There's some guys here, you know, they're, 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 they're breaking the law. You know, I think we've talked about this before. Is it ever okay to break the law? We know scriptures uh, says over and over again that we're to obey the law of the land. We know that. Romans 13, 1 and 2, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God. Titus 3, 1 tells us, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as, as a one in authority, to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. So we are to be in subject to authorities or over us to obey the laws of the land. Then were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego sitting by refusing to participate? No, they were acting, they were committing what's called an act of civil disobedience. They nonviolently refused to obey the command of the king and for a very good biblical reason. It was sin for them to do so. And we know that. If, if, if the law says, hey, you need to do this and it's sin, then we have to first follow the higher calling of God. 
Now, if the speed limit says 35 and you're going 50, you can't say, well, the law is making me angry and sinning, so I can't drive slow. No, that doesn't work that way. I think of Paul, and, and uh, not Paul, Peter and John, they'd been arrested for claiming the gospel of Jesus. They appeared before the authorities and they, they you know, they summoned them and, and, and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all of the name of Jesus. And Peter and, and John answered and said to them in Acts 4, 18, uh, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. And they're arrested again. And again, God sent an angel to release them and told them to keep preaching the gospel. And even when the jail cell was empty, they thought they were preaching publicly. They were again brought before the authorities and, and, they, and they stood before them. And they said, didn't we give you strict you know, instructions you know, that you cannot keep preaching in his name? And then Peter said this in Acts 5, 27 or 29. He says, we must obey God rather than men. So the Bible does allow us to commit, commit civil disobedience when the authorities command us to commit sin, when they command us to do something that's forbidden in the Scripture. Well, look what happens when you stand up for doing what's right. Look at verse 13. Well, the Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at this time, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in sympathy with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Okay, don't read verse 16. I know you want to. Don't read it. Because here we have these boys, and, 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 and you wonder about these, their, their convictions and their condition. I mean, they're standing before the king now. It's not like some, you know, other representative of the king. This is the actual king himself. The king of the whole nation is speaking to them. He's on his throne. He's got his, his entire king array, and he's got his congregational hearing that's happening, and he's got the, the satraps and administrators and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the judges and the magistrates. We read all that they were there, and they're all standing there, and they're all looking at him. And you got the crowd there as well, and they're all listening, seeing what's going on. And these Chaldeans come up and say, hey, this is a perfect ceremony, but these three guys... They're not bowing down. And they tell the king, uh-oh. king says, come here, boys. I want to talk to you. Nebuchadnezzar, veggie tells. But he says to them, is it true? Is it really, really true? I mean, I got this nice banquet going on. I got everything happening here. I'm going to give you one more chance. One more chance. When the music plays, I don't want to destroy you guys. Come on, guys, do it. And you got these three guys, and maybe they're looking at each other, kind of looking around. You know what's happening? James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. She's causing these guys to grow in their faith. He's causing these guys to trust the Lord. It's something that, that years down the line, next generation after generation, they can look back and say, let me tell you this true story. We have it here recorded in scriptures. Three guys that said, I am not going to bow down. I'm not going to give in to the ways of the world. And they have a testimony of faithfulness. But it could have gone the other way. They could have said, I mean, there's a story we had. It's in scriptures about these three guys. And they, were, they were walking with God, but you know what? They blew it. 
They just, you know, they, they, they compromise and they turn and they, they apologize to the king and they bow down before the statue and said, oh, we're sorry. And, and, and now because, you know, you got kids now, these kids now, they're not walking with the Lord because the older generation, they didn't leave, you know, anything for them to, to hold on to. And then the same thing can happen with us. If we don't make that stand and the next generation behind us are going to go, hey, you know what? Why should I make a stand? You know, the parents didn't make a stand. I think we're not raising up young leaders and giving them the opportunity to stand up for Christ. It's our responsibility to set the example to the younger generations. See, the more the older generation will stay in the path of integrity, the more the younger generations will have someone to look to and go, wow, look at this person. Look, look at that man. I mean, he's a man of integrity. Man, he's a guy that lived his whole life serving the Lord. I, I, I want to do that. You know, I love hearing someone say, hey, my grandmother always said, or my grandpa used to always say, and it's something you know, spiritual and just a commitment to the Lord. Because it's a, a, a truth being passed on from generation to generation. Unfortunately, it seems that for many of the older generations, they feel awkward around the younger, younger generations, and, and they want to compromise because the young, younger generation is compromising, and, and you know, pastors nowadays are, are compromising the gospel and, and, and to reach a younger generation, and they shouldn't. Message doesn't change. Yeah, the message should change, but not, not the, the message should change, but not the message. And that's an amazing thing. You look at old, the old Billy Graham crusades, you can catch them on TV every now and then, like from, you know, 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, he never compromised. He, you know, he'd get up there and, 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 and uh, you know, he still had Beverly Shea singing a, a song in the, in the 90s, when he was in his 90s, and, and still kids, 18, 19, and 20 years old, were coming to faith in Christ. He didn't change, you know, people were coming to Christ. It's, it's the message of the gospel. We need men and women living an uncompromised life to, to, to show the younger generation, hey, I want to be just like dad or mom or grandpa or grandma. Look now at verse 16. Remember King Nebi said in verse 15, If you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. I like that. And then verse 18. But if not... Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the stinking gold image that you have set up before us. Okay, the word stinking is not there, but. I love this part of scripture. I love the story because you don't see these guys looking to talk with each other. Well, what do you think? Do you think we should compromise? Do you think I should? Man, I know Abednego is going to bend and go. I mean, he's going to want to bow. You know, we need to, we need to discuss this. You know, okay, about rock, paper, scissors. Okay, do we do it? No, no they didn't do that. Actually, in the original language, we were given a hint that before the king actually got those words out of his mouth of offering them one more chance, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says, don't even go there. Verse 16, no, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, you don't understand, king, this is non-negotiable. We don't have to debate it. We don't have to dialogue it. We are committed to obeying our God. Why? Well, number one, we know that he's able to save us. And number two, if he doesn't save us, uh, so what? My life's not my own. I gave it to God. So, you know, it's not an option for me. He's calling the shots as to what happens in my life. And, and I ask God to call the shots. And that's where the story ends. So I guess we're on our way to the furnace. I like that. You know why? Because God, at one point in all of our lives, 
It's going to take each one of us right to that very same edge of conviction or compromise to trust or turn. Maybe even to the, to the edge of life or death. Now, I don't know each and every one of your stories here of what happens in your life that brings you to the edge that God has for you. I do know a lot of your stories. I've known you over the years. And I know that God has, has taken many of us right to that edge, right to the point where there's no place to turn but to Him. And maybe it's a serious illness, or maybe it's a struggle in your marriage, or maybe it's a financial situation, or maybe it's worse, maybe it's a, a life or death situation, a sick child, a sick parent. Maybe a mom or dad, and they're lying in the hospital, all hooked up with tubes and needles, and the doctor says, I'm sorry, this doesn't look very promising. And you're right there on that edge. Now, will you say, God, if this doesn't work out, I don't think you're going to be seeing me much more at church. That's it, God. If this doesn't turn out the way I want it to be, I, I don't know, Lord. Just so you know. Listen, God knows that. I know that. But, but what is happening is the world is watching the crowd, the courts, the king. You gave your life to him. So how are you going to respond? You have the opportunity to find out who your life belongs to and just how much you can trust him and just how much he loves you. Because it's in those times of trials and difficulties that the true colors of people come out. Some stay strong. Some even get stronger, yet some turn away. Some, you have the attitude, I'm only in the description thing. If things go good for me, then I'm great. Things are going great. But if if, if it doesn't happen the way it it should happen, then I'm going to find some guru somewhere else and I'm going to find something that's going to fit with what I want to believe. Be surprised how many people, and you know this, who, who, who walk away from God because things didn't turn out the way they wanted things to turn out. And they're angry because God didn't move the way that they wanted them to move. Yeah, we pray, God bless my family, God take care of my kids, keep us healthy, keep my wife close, and, and I, I offer my whole family to Him. But He knows me like He knows every one of you. And as much as I said over and over again, God, whatever you want to do in my life, He knows my heart. He knows I'm saying, but God, please bless my family. And please, God, please take care of my, my kids, my boys. Keep them safe in the military. God, keep my grandbabies healthy and strong. My wife, Lord, please don't. I don't, I don't know what i do without her. And, but we get taken to that edge. And I think it's the same thing in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, in the hall of faith. As you're reading this and you're seeing these great men of faith. I mean, they're, 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 they're shutting the lion's mouth, conquering with the sword. People rising from the dead. That's great faith. But the chapter ends. Not like you would think. You read there that they wandered in goat skins and around in caves and, and were destitute. That doesn't sound like the blessings of God to me. But you see, they believed the promise that they were waiting for that God had planned for them a better resurrection. All that to say, if things don't turn out the way that we hope that they turn out, we, I, I would hope, I would have to trust that God knows best. And I may not understand completely, but what I do understand is that on the other side, it'll all make perfect sense. It'll make perfect sense when I go to heaven. It's like, like the song we, we, we sang tonight. I didn't know if Laura was going to sing this, sing this song tonight. But, you know, when you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. When you don't give the answers as I cry out to you, I will trust, I will trust, I will trust in you. Truth is, you know what tomorrow brings. There's not a day ahead you have not seen. So let all things be my life and breath. I want what you want, Lord, and nothing less. See, listen, to, to say that, it takes allowing God to bring us to that edge of great faith. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made the decision way back in verse 16. Listen, King, you don't need to say anything else. We're, we're going to obey God. Now, what does the world think when you stand up for the Lord? 
and refuse to compromise? When you speak up maybe against abortion, against same-sex marriage, against homosexuality? What do you see? The flames in people's eyes. They don't want to listen. They want to attack. Just like in our story. Look now at verses 19-25. The Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. And the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to the counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the former the fourth is like the Son of God. I mean, here, if you were Pentecostal right now, you'd be shouting, Hallelujah! <laughs> Amen! I, I mean, this is just right here, and, and, and you read, and Jesus is right there with them, and, and I mean, this is amazing. See, this is what's called a, a theophany, which is an early appearance, appearance of Jesus Christ. We see Him walking around with them in the fire. Listen, folks, we need to remember when we're in the midst of a fiery furnace, a fiery trial, Jesus is there with us. David prayed in Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. So, look at verse 26, 27. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, uh, Oh, Shadrach! <laughs> Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Total change of, of attitude. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Come out, come out, wherever you are, boys. Okay, come on, God. And, uh, you know, and Shadrach and, you know, Meshach and Abednego, they come out of the furnace and, and no evidence at all that they were in the fire. Let me say this. The truly victorious man and woman comes out the other end of the trial without smelling like smoke. That is, you know, you're not embittered by your difficulties. You're not angry over the circumstances. You're not holding a grudge against those that caused you to be in that trial or, or that trouble. You just come out of it the other end purified and free. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 5, verse 3 and 4, We also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. Those are good things. Not smelling of smoke. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceedingly joy. 
He doesn't say, you know, uh, you know, when you go through that fiery trial, just be ticked off by it and be angry for a few years after that and then try to get revenge from the people. He doesn't say that. Rejoice that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Finally, look at verse, uh, look at verse 28 through 30. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent His angel and delivered His servants who trusted in Him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other god who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. doesn't say... We should all serve Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. He says, no, just you can't say anything against that God because that God is powerful. We're still not seeing him come to God yet. But I love this. We all like to see it end this way. These three young men were able to stand firm in the strength and power and might of the Lord, trusting him fully even into death. And God blessed them. And God pulled them out of that fire. Now, the amazing thing here is that these young men would have trusted even him even if they died. He would have tr- they would have trusted him. They didn't, you know, they didn't you know, fight over this. They, they, you know, they, hey, we're ready to go. And then it says that they threw them in the fire. But I don't think they, 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 I don't think they went screaming and fighting and kicking their feet. They say, hey, you know what? God has what God has for us. I mean, that's just, just a piece that God gives them to them that no matter what trial we may face, no matter... What goes on? God's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us, even if that means He's going to take us home to heaven. As we close, let me bring this back to, to standing up for Christ, because it's going to happen in every part of our lives, in some situation in our life. You may try to play it cool, you may try to be low key, but sooner or later, someone's going to, you're going to have that confrontation. You know, where it's going to be, you know what? Are, are you a Christian? Yeah, I am a Christian. And you have to stand up for what you believe and, 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 and to stand up for Christ. And I think one person that stands up for Christ can lead to another person that stands up for Christ and another person that stands up for Christ to the point where I pray before the Lord returns we have one more great revival here in America. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time tonight, Lord. For your word, Lord, that we recognize that, Lord, you are the one that is in control of all circumstances. And we can, God, trust in your sovereignty, trust in your providence, knowing, Lord God, that whatever trial we may face, whatever struggle we may be going through, Lord, that you are there with us, even in that fire, even in those flames, Lord. And you're producing in us a work that, Lord, cannot be produced any other way. And you're changing us, and you're, you're making us more, uh, more like you. And we, we thank you, Lord for those trials, not for how hard they are, but for the work that they're doing in our lives. So then I pray, Lord, for anyone that may be going through a difficult time right now and may be tempted to compromise, may be tempted to, to look elsewhere and to not trust you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that they would see and, and look what we've looked at tonight and know that you are a God, a God that... that knows every situation we're going through, knows what's happening in our lives. Lord, that we can make a stand for you. And no matter how it turns out, Lord, 
we know that our eternity is secure with you. Thank you for this night, Lord. Thank you for those that have come out, Lord. And, and just thank you for your word, God. Help us to continue just to hide it in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.